Father, thank you for this opportunity to once again come before you, bow at the cross, and say thank you. Because it's a privilege. It's a privilege to be able to do what this team is about to do. To go out and share the gospel of Christ to the hopeless. It's a privilege to be on this side and to hold a rope in prayer. So thank you for this opportunity once again to trust you and allow you to do only you can do, Father. So we come before you now and we ask, would you do that? Just allow Hope to just play a small part in something that only you can get credit for, Father. So bless this team, favor upon their work in Alaska, that many will come to gaze at your beauty, Father, and they may come to know you and love you and worship you. And we're praying this this morning in the powerful name of Christ, believing that you will do it, Father. Once again, in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you, team. Thank you, Ronnie. And thank the Lord. He has answered prayer for you to be here and to see him, savor him, and celebrate his beauty. A few years ago, when Lisa, my wife, was teaching second grade, she asked her class to fill out, uh, finish this statement. If I only had one wish, what would it be? And you could tell by their answers that uh, they had thought about this a lot. One of the children said, if I only had one wish, it would be to live on the moon, because no gravity, you can float in the air. If I had one wish, I would wish for a lot of money, because then you can have lots of things. If I had just one wish, it would be to be famous, because then everybody would like you. Probably not true. If I had one wish, it would be to have ghost powers, so you can scare people. If I just had one wish, this is what I love. If I had one wish, I would be a superstar. I want to be a superstar because you get to wear makeup, lipstick, and wear fashion clothes. And then you'll have a food person to get food for you. <laughs> I love this. I, I think I am at that status. Because I asked Ronnie right before I came up here, would you get me a bottle of water? And he did. <laughs> that makes me a superstar. So what about you? If I were to ask you really one thing, I mean, honestly, from family to business, what's the one thing you say, this is the one thing I think about all the time? Well, just one wish. David was asked that, and he answered that, and the reason why we're coming back there is because it's just so profound. One thing. One thing I ask of the Lord, that's what I seek, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek Him twice to seek him in his temple. When you read Psalm 27, you need to understand this is the book of Psalms that you've never gone to a funeral and not at least heard one Psalm read. There are 150 of them. David wrote 73 of them. So for 3,000 years, he's been influencing billions of people on earth by the things he wrote about God. Like, how do you do that? How do you know God so well you can write something down that 3,000 years later Billions of people on earth are being driven to God. And he did that because he was a one-thing kind of person. He didn't get distracted in a multiplicity of agendas. He said, I just want to do one thing in life, and that is to know, to know God. Most of the great achievers in life are 
are, are just one thing kind of people, really specialize in something. I was reading this week about the different people through the years that have played in Justin Timberlake's band. Who does he use? Uh, it's interesting, the, um, the girl who plays the viola is named Celia Hatton, and she says that <clears throat> every day she practices the viola for three hours. If she's pressed for time for a concert and doesn't get a big lead time, she'll practice seven hours a day. She begins, she says, I have a warm-up time, but before that, I have a warm-up time for the warm-up time. The warm-up time is listening to other musicians that she thinks are one thing kind of people. Then for the next 45 minutes, she plays scales, arpeggios, etudes for 45 minutes. Then she begins to practice for the production. She stops in the middle of her practice only for 30 minutes to take a break, to walk around the block, to come back for the final, you know, to finish the seven hours. She does two things before she starts. She makes her bed so her head will be uncluttered, and she takes her iPhone out of the room. She's among the greatest in the world to play the viola because she's a one-thing kind of person. That's what David said. One thing I ask of the Lord, and this is what I, I seek, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. Last week, just for a little bit of review, we said the reason that we want to be a one-thing kind of person, the reason we want to seek God so passionately is because when we get to the, our destination, what it is is beauty, to see the beauty of the Lord and that Everybody in this room is seeking pleasure, and the highest pleasure in life is derived from glimpses of seeing, celebrating God's beauty. We're all on a pursuit for pleasure, and that pleasure is found in the beauty of the Lord. And that beauty is the only thing that will sustain you. I felt it a minute ago when the band was singing, uh, well, both of the songs that preceded, you know, song two and three. It's not like, not like I didn't like song one, but I just... These were, these were beautiful moments. I know your souls are already encouraged. The beauty of God touched you. could feel it touching you. And you really can't live in a world of pain unless you have this concept of beauty that, that, you know, that counters the pain. So it was exciting last week when I taught on the beauty of God. And I'm doing just enough of an intro just in case I missed some of you along the way about the beauty of God. So last week, you sent me some pictures of sunsets down at Edisto from two families that were down there, and I loved those. And it continued, as I mentioned, that I loved these pictures. And so somebody sent me a, oh, just one second. This is my, my proof that this is why we want beauty. Well, Psalm 1611, you will fill me with joy in your presence with eternal pleasures at your right hand. So seeing beauty leads to pleasure. So you just kept sending me pictures all week. Somebody sent me these pictures from Surfside Beach of a sunrise, and I thought that was great. Now, the one on the right, I'm a little concerned about. I, I think maybe there's been a nuclear blast in Myrtle Beach that I didn't know about. We did later find out that was a, a yoga class. And then other people sent me a, a picture. Again, the Edisto family sent me a picture of, of, of the morning of deer running through the marsh at low tide. Loved that. And then uh, somebody sent me a picture of their of their, the fruit of their garden, which obviously is beautiful in so many ways. And they also sent me a picture of a, the garter, the one who guards the garden, their rooster, uh, Pierre. And, uh, and then I didn't get just one picture of, uh, of a rooster. I got a, a picture of two hens down in, uh, down in Greenville, out in Taylor's, of, of their beauty. And 
And then I got a picture of Lake Cooley. I love the Lake Cooley picture, just in case you don't know. On October, I think, 3rd or 4th, whenever that rolls around on Sunday, <clears throat> we, you've seen many baptisms here. We're going to try to baptize like we did old school, and we're going to have uh, the baptism back at Lake Cooley. And we're just hoping that October 3rd or 4th is not 30 degrees. Uh, and so we really think the, the warm weather will hold out enough. So we love Lake Cooley. It's where we used to baptize before we started doing it in here. But what I love about it is the people uh, that sent me this picture, I love the, what they sent with their text. Lake Cooley, our happy place, it has put Band-Aids on our broken hearts many times. The beauty of God is the only thing that can really counter the pain of the world. And then another guy sent me a picture of recently the past week of his hike up the mountains uh, this cave is not just any cave. It's called Hospital Rock. It was used during the Civil War to treat soldiers that had been wounded. Uh, how beautiful is, 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 is that provision? Especially when you link that with a verse that we did look at in Psalm 27 last week. The Lord is my light and my salvation. The Lord is the stronghold, which we said literally rock, tower, fortress. The Lord is the rock of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Hiding and the rock of God. Just in case you missed it last week, we did say the highest declaration, expression of God's beauty is the cross. 1 John 4.10, this is love. This is beauty. The highest expression of beauty. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. How wonderful it is to know that everything God demanded in order for your sins to be paid for, that word atonement means God says, I am now satisfied that it's been paid. Everything you needed has been, to atone for your sins has been paid. The wonderful thing about heaven is that we're going to get to enjoy the beauty of this Savior forever, uninterrupted, because we'll never stop looking at him, which we do now, which we're going to talk about the rest of the message. But 1 John 3, 2 says, we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. We got excited about that last week. Never any more distractions. We're going to be like Christ in all of, the, all of his purities because we're going to see him face to face. But what we didn't note last week is that verse has a second half. All who have this hope of seeing Christ, all who have this hope in him, purify themselves just as he is pure. So if you want to know today, how do you know that you're a Christian? That is, you have an all-consuming desire to be a reflection back to God of the beauty that you've seen in Him. This is how you know that you love the Lord. Lord, I want to be beautiful to you. I'll, you supply sunsets and you supply roosters and you supply air and breath and colors Lord, that please my eyes. I, Lord, when you look at me, I want to so be filled with you that I want you to have pleasure. So we don't have pleasure in life just from seeing God's beauty. We have pleasure in knowing that we have brought pleasure to God. There's not a musician on the stage today that doesn't feel an elevated sense of pleasure that they were used by God to bring pleasure to him. So we get pleasure by looking at him and we get pleasure by bringing pleasure to him. That's what David was after. The pleasure that comes from seeing and celebrating God's beauty and reflecting that beauty back to 
him. And that's why David says, one thing I want, that's to be a part of that. One thing I want. And so he said that now this is where everything is new from this point on. David said, yeah, I want one thing, and that is to see God's beauty. And it's so important to me that this is what I seek. It's what we didn't look at at all last week. His attitude, his posture is that of seeking from the Hebrew word bakash, which means to go after. This is exactly the opposite of being casual. Bakash would be intentional, planned, deliberate, not passive not casual. In fact, I wrote uh, Exodus 2.15 on the bottom just as a reference to, you know, the word bakash is used when the Bible says that the king of Egypt, Pharaoh, so hated Moses that he sought to kill him bakash. You could ask old angry Pharaoh any day of the week, what do you want more than anything else? He said, I'd like Moses dead. So he sought it. So there's, a, there's an aggressiveness in the word seeking. It's not, un, it's not unintentional. It's, it's very intentional. It's the, the opposite. It's a, it's a deliberate pressing pause and consciously focusing your heart and your mind on God. That's bakash. That's seeking. Pause. I'm going to seek God in this moment. And it's the opposite of seeking would be coasting, like mentally and spiritually coasting. You can imagine yourself um, today, all of us, let's do this. This will be fun. Go get some canoes, and we're going to float down the French Broad River. We'll start at the Biltmore, and we'll end at the Atlantic Ocean. Maybe not. Down the French Broad River. How wonderful it is when you're in a canoe or a kayak and the current carries you on a day where it's 95 degrees. But how unfun it is is when the current stops and for two miles you have to paddle. We like coasting. We like when the current carries us. We love coming to church when the current of music and the current of great singers carries us to God. But tomorrow you got to paddle, effort, and that one you might skip out on because it's a lot more fun to be carried than it is to actually paddle. It's amazing the things that we're inclined to do because we're not inclined naturally to seek God. <laughs> we're, inclined, we're inclined to seek sinful pleasure. Do you know that there are some people who stay out after midnight, so I hear? They do. I mean, they'll stay up all night if the result is sin. But if I were to say, you know, to those same people, hey, you know, 10 o'clock, let's fire up the, the, the movie, the, um, the, the, this, this great movie on the, on the life of Christ. What's it called again? I just watched it this week. What, what is it? The Chosen. Thank you. This is unbelievable. I beg you to really get into the movie The Chosen. You can download the app on your, on your iPhone. It, but you say, you know, at 10 o'clock, hey, you want to watch The Chosen? I know I'm really tired. It's amazing that things, two-hour movie, shoot them up, bang, bang. Man, it's like, oh, yeah, I got energy watching The Chosen. I'm tired. It's amazing what we are inclined. People are inclined towards sinful pleasure. People are inclined toward wealth. 
People will work. It's amazing how many hours people will put in a work week for wealth. Like whatever else would tire them, it's not tiring when it leads to money, things. We're inclined toward fame, glory. It's unbelievable to watch what an athlete will put up with, what we'll endure, the training, the constant throwing up on the practice field for Sundays or the game days, glory. But not so much seeking God, get tired. We don't lose our intentionality. Mark Cuban, I'm certain I've never quoted him in the context of of a sermon. He's a billionaire, as you know, owner of the Dallas Mavericks. I do like this quote. He wrote a blog entitled, Don't Follow Your Passion, Follow Your Effort. And what he was trying to say there is it's not enough to want something. You've got to go after it. That's what David is talking about. Seeking God is pursuing God. So he, I saw, because, this is what I go after. I don't just want God, I seek God. Every Friday in this room where you're seated, on that row sits a woman. Sometimes by herself, sometimes two or three with her. She prays for Sunday services every week. Nobody else, hardly anybody else at Hope Point on Friday. And when I see her, it's such as, because I'm, I'm, I'm sitting there saying, you know, surely she's got a hundred things that she could do like you. But she presses Paul's and says, I'm going to seek God that that piano, that voice will be blessed. This guy will teach They will sing in a way that will inspire people. It's effort. It's effort. We don't experience God because we want him. We experience God when we seek him. Bakash. This is how David stressed that seeking later in Psalm 27. My heart said, I love this because he's talking to himself. I talk to myself relentlessly around the house, normally trying, you know, trying out, how does that sound, and you know, it, it, just think that out. But it, so if you're going to talk to yourself, say good things to yourself. This is a good thing. So he's talking, he's a, my heart says of you, David, seek God's face. Your face, Lord, will I, I seek. Now, why does David change here? He goes from, I'm just, Bakash, seeking God. Now he's qualifying what that looks like. It's, I'm seeking the face of God. Why does he do that? I think you, you, you know that. When you're face-to-face with somebody, it's an altogether different conversation. Like, one of the rules in our house is I, it's never really obeyed. It's just wished greatly for 38 years. Is that if Lisa needs me, she wouldn't yell for me from the back of the house. But it happens. Now, another rule of our house, which both of us break, is that when we're talking to each other, let's not look away like at the TV or the phone. I mean, you can imagine... Somebody like you're talking to somebody, you're, 
you're talking to them. They're wearing their Apple Watch, Melanie. And they're watching, they're wearing their Apple Watch. She thinks she's such a, all that, cause she's got an Apple Watch. And so, we're an Apple Watch and say, I really need to share with you some major things going in my life that really, really have me down. Well, gosh, well, thank, you for, th- thank you for sharing. Thank you. You never like to talk to anybody when they're, you lose eye contact with them because they're sort of telling you, I'm halfway with you. I mean, we, we all do that to each other in all sorts of contexts. It's why your parents grew up teaching you, look somebody in the face. When you, when you talk to them. This is what David is, is saying, that why, why he uses the word face. God's not into half anything. God's like, into, like half devotion, half attention, half focus, half desire. Nope, God's into words like all. That's why he says in Jeremiah 29, 13, you'll seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart, not half. You may sit here today and say, I don't feel close to God. I can assure you the fire of God burning with affection for you has never ceased one bit to burn as bright as it ever has in the history of the world for anybody. If you don't feel the warmth of his radiance, it's because you're not near the fire. You're not seeking him with all of your heart. I haven't uh, had in-depth conversations with all of you. I've had, I feel like, some conversations with most of you, like in the lobby, out in the parking lot. But you haven't come to my office and, you know, spilled the beans and said, this is, you know, what I'm dealing with. But I know one thing very personal about each one of you, and that is you struggle with being intentional about seeking God. I know that about you. Because I know that about me. I mean, isn't it crazy that prayer, I always have a special prayer for my, my sermon. Like, I want to wrap it up in one word. I say, God, I pray that the result of today's prayer is there be a new generation of seekers, a new generation of those who seek you diligently. And by the way, forgive me for not seeking you diligently. It's just the way it always is. You always, you know, out, out preach your heart. That's why God has to resort to commanding us to seek him, because it's not natural for any of us to do that. There's a command, 1 Chronicles 16, 11, seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his face continually. This is one of those commands. You sit there and say, God, do you really have to put that in there? Isn't that like, isn't that like kindergarten or pre-K that we learn that? The most important thing is to seek the Lord. And isn't it crazy, would we ever forget that the most important thing is to seek God? And yes, we forgive it. And in, in 2012, you golfers will find this interesting. There was a study by the World Scientific Congress of Golf on what makes the difference between a professional golfer dropping a putt and a weekend golfer missing the same length putt. And it's, it, it's called, it, it says that they, the professional golfer has what is known as quiet eyes. That when he gets above the ball, the professional golfer, by the time he gets up the ball, he does one thing. He looks at the hole, looks at the ball, and, and never again anything else. As a matter of fact, he tries to find one spot on the ball once he focuses the ball. But the weekend golfer, when he stands above the ball, he's going everywhere with his mind. He's starting, then he's starting planning, and he's going everywhere. He doesn't have quiet eyes. Spiritually, this is our struggle in life. 
We don't have quiet eyes. They look everywhere. We start to panic and start to feel all sorts of pain, and we look everywhere rather than having quiet eyes on, on God. The reason why we must be aggressive, bakash, B-A-Q-A-S-H would be the transliteration, bakash. The reason that we want to be aggressive in trying to seek the Lord is because the world is going to be aggressive in persuading you not to seek the Lord and offering you many, many other things. I, I asked uh, several people this week, what has uh, been your success in seeking the Lord? Like, what's your strategy? So one couple told me this, that recently they decided uh, the, the, the wife loves social media, always catching up with what everybody's doing, and the husband loves uh, sort of blogs related to political issues. And so they decided recently to fast uh, for a week, and instead of reading uh, social media, I'm going to read the Bible during this time, instead of reading political blogs, I'm going to read the Bible and pray during this time. They said at the end of the week, their life had radically changed. So much an infusion of peace. So, just in case you two are caught up in the fact that you cannot get through the day, you're always looking at that phone because you've got to know what's happening in the world, let me just give you this tip. Read the Bible before you read the news. Let your heart hear good news before your ears hear bad news. Now, if you don't have a lot of time to spare, I decided to do you a favor. I'm not the prophet nor the son of a prophet, but I'm going to go ahead and tell you tomorrow's headlines. Ready? Here they are. Scientists predict the world may end sooner than we think. Unrest in the Middle East reaches its millionth day. Powerful hurricane destroys beautiful home built in flood zone. NFL star dissatisfied with $30 million signing bonus. Man sues dry cleaner for overstart shirt. More than 20 college students gather for a free Britney rally. Politicians accuse each other of corruption. Politician engages in corruption yet goes unpunished. And yet we choose to read that, be consumed with that more than God. And it's going to be the same thing every day. Why do you want to know that? You already know it. Read something better. So seeking God means walk away from activities that dull your sensitivity to God, blind you to God. Walk away from those. Pray things like this. Help me see you because I don't see you. Help me hear you because I... I don't hear you. Help me love you because I don't love you as I should. Intentionally seeking God. Distractions are everywhere. And the only way that you're ever going to live in this world is to make a deliberate strategy like Jesus did in the middle of the busyness to not miss God. Luke 5, yet the news about him spread all the more so that crowds of people came to hear him and be healed of their schedules. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. If Jesus would have waited for the perfect time to have a quiet time, he would have concluded there's not enough time. 
So he made time. He just said, I'm going to say no to everything right now except God. I mean, very rarely is there a perfect day when there are no distractions. So you got to start learning now. When, when am I going to be intentional about this? I think that's what David meant in Psalm 27 when he says, when evil men advance against me to devour my flesh, when my enemies and foes attack me, they'll some of them fall. Though an army besiege me, though war break out against me, what do you do with that? That's when I'm going to seek the Lord. The thing that I love about David is that he didn't write Psalm 27 from like the Mediterranean on an island, eating bananas, drinking coconut juice. The dude wrote this in the middle of war and he's a king, which means he has lots of responsibilities. And even in the middle of all of these responsibilities, David said, I'm not shirking my responsibilities. I'm not looking for a stress-free life. I got to be king. I'm saying in the middle of these responsibilities, I don't want to miss God. He's not seeking to escape. He's seeking to avoid distraction. If David would have been a mechanic, he would have prayed like this. Lord, would you transport this car and my shop before your mighty throne so I can make these repairs in your presence? Let me enjoy you during my work day. If he had been a single mother, he would have prayed, Lord, transport this house before your mighty throne so I can wash these clothes, raise this child, and clean these dishes in your presence. If you're looking for when the distraction is over, that's never. David didn't want to be free of pressure. He wanted to be free of distraction from God. Craig Figtree lives at the 1800 block of North Bizzle Street in Chicago. In 1895, all of the residents that lived here um, had a 125 feet backyard. That was what they had purchased. But also in that year, the city of Chicago said, we're going to build an elevated railway system that folks from Chicago know as the L. And uh, we need your 125 feet of backyard. So from that point on, all of those people begin living just a few feet away from the L. It runs 24 hours a day. So if you're in those apartments and you're waiting to sleep when the train is not running, you'll never sleep. You gotta find a way to learn how to sleep while the train is running. If you wait for your trials to be over before you press into God, you will never press into God. That's, that's the issue of life is learning how to seek him in the midst of, of pain. You know, right now our student pastor, Danny B., is, uh, is taking a really long vacation. It started with a vacation with 37 kids at camp. What a wonderful vacation. 37 teenagers, some of which are middle schoolers. That was the first vacation we gave him. Then he came back and then he came down with COVID. So he's got a COVID vacation going on. Then Jenny got COVID. So she, they're on a, that's a double vacation. 
But, I, you know, we keep up with Dan V and I love him so much. And he just said that, you know, I'm so sick. Like, I just can't eat. I just can't drink. Well, what's the thing you need to do when you're sick? You at least need to drink. Need to eat. But you need to. Isn't it amazing? When you're sick, you don't feel like doing the very thing you need to do. This is when your heart is broken and fear is gnawing at your nerves. The one thing you need to do is get to God, and that's the time when your flesh says, let's sit this one out. If God loves me, let him come to me. But I'm not going to bakash. I'm not going to seek him now. That's exactly when you need to seek him. If God isn't real to you on Monday, he probably wasn't real on Sunday. David says, I want to seek the Lord in the midst of the battle. You know, one of the more interesting verses about seeking God is found in Isaiah 55, 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. That's a that's an interesting verse. I mean, like for those who, you know, the cynic would say, hey, hey, I thought God was omnipresent. He's everywhere. How can the verse imply that he's not always near? Well, the only way I can explain that is to say that there is a sense in this room today, in an auditorium, because I'm wearing a microphone and there's lots of speakers up in the ceiling, in a sense, I am near to each one of you. My voice is next to you. But it's altogether different between hearing a speaker than when the talk is over saying, can we meet one-on-one, face-to-face, my life's falling apart. So there's a sense in which God is near to everyone in this city. Uh, Through his microphone of conscience, through his microphone of creation, through the microphone of providence supplying for our daily needs, God is near. But in another sense, he's not near to everybody because there's a lot of people who don't go to him after the meeting and say, my life is falling apart. I want to know how to do life your way. I want a meeting with you, God. That's what it means to seek the Lord while he's near, to have a personal meeting with God. We hear in the business news right now that this is a great job market. Like anybody can get a job. What would you think of somebody if you went to them and say, you know, have you, have you found a job yet? No, I haven't. Well, you know, tell me about it. I mean, have, have you gone to interview it with an employer? No, no, I'm just waiting for them to call me. This is how many people live the Christian life. If it happens, it happens. Or just wait for God to call me. No, Bakash, I'm calling him. I'm calling him. You'll never know God if you wait. Wait for the right time. Wait to quit sinning. Now, because you seek the Lord while he is near. I think there's another reason that God says that, you know, seek him while he's near. Is there are some times in life where there's really uh, some things that God's going to do right now that he's never going to do again. So that's what it means he did. Like I'm here. We, 
Like right now, if you're going to buy a house, like I'm going to venture with all of my economic training to say interest rates will never be this low again. Like now's the time from an interest rate perspective, buy a house. Ten years from now, if you go to a banker, it's not like he's mad at you. But no, you're going to pay six, seven, eight percent when today it was between two and three. Because providence, God is ready to do things right now that he's not going to do again. He's lining all these things up and goes, now. Not like he's angry 10 years. He wants to do it now. You were part of feeding hundreds and hundreds of children in India through the years, 20 years, because a translator was listening to me teach on the book of Esther where God told Esther, I want to deliver the Jews now through your courage. Speak, Esther, or I'm moving on. And she spoke. The Jews were saved. And when that guy translated that for me, he resigned that day to go start an orphanage because he knew that was the moment. That was the moment when God was near. He wanted to do a work. And that moment may not come again. So to you, I would say this. Seek the Lord before your heart becomes married to the world. Seek the Lord before sin becomes the ruler of your flesh. Seek the Lord before demonic philosophies destroy the reasoning ability of your mind. Seek the Lord while he's near. So what's the reward for all of this seeking God? You find God. That's the reward. Hebrews eleven six 6 says, Without faith it's impossible to please God, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, and you also must believe that he's a rewarder of those who seek him. What's the, what's the reward for seeking God is you find God. And you keep finding God, and you keep finding God, and there's never, you'll never get to the end of God. Whatever he showed you today, like come back next Sunday, he's got more. I can't wait to meet with God tomorrow. I cannot wait to meet with God tomorrow. What in the world does he have in store for me? And then the next day. January 24th, 1848, <clears throat> James Wilson Marshall, he's a carpenter from New Jersey, was building um, <clears throat> a construction project on the, on the American River at the foot of the Sierra Nevada Mount, Mountains in Coloma, California. It was, he was working for, he was building a water-powered sawmill owned by John Sutter. And while he was working on the, the American River, he noticed shiny flakes of something floating by. It was gold. He and John Sutter got together and discovered a lot of gold was floating by, and they tried to keep it quiet. They didn't keep it quiet. Over the next years, tens of thousands of men and women from all over the country moved to California. They borrowed money, they mortgaged their property, and they spent their life savings because of all the gold that was coming out of the mountains. In fact, in 1852, when the gold rush was at its peak, those who came and panned for gold walked away with $81 million. 
And there's still huge amounts of gold in the earth today. Pan for it all you want and you won't use it all up. That's what motivated David. He sought God because you will never get to the end of God. That's a good thing. The great joy of those who seek God is knowing that they will never get to the end of God. When we've been there 10,000 years, it'll be like day one. And there's a lot more gold to see. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for doing this again, helping me and these to seek you. Lord, there's already been special manifestation of your beauty in the songs, the way that guitar, strings, piano keys, vocal cords all blend together. Lord, the colors on the screen, maybe even some photographs again of creation. Lord, eyesight and all the, the millions of processes that take place uh, chemically in our brain that we could see the words of Scripture, the words from our God who loves us. Lord, thank you that we were allowed to see 1 John 4.10 today, that propitiation, satisfaction, has been made for our sins. Whatever needed to be done has been done. Christ has died and is risen. We can be pure like Christ. And we will be one day completely pure like Christ when we see him as he is. Thank you that our eyes got to see that and to hear that. And so today, Lord, we want to get on track again of seeking you, adjusting our life, not floating, not coasting, Lord, but seeking, paddling, leaning into, pressing into, not waiting for the miracle, but acting the miracle. Lord, the campfire is lit. Your divine radiance is ready to warm, ready to forgive, ready to console, ready to strengthen. Lord, but we must draw near to you. So, Lord, here we are confessing our sin. Uh, and we want to draw near to you. We want a meeting with you after the meeting. Want to rise tomorrow, go to bed tonight on time so we can rise tomorrow and meet with you. The very first thing we do, Lord, we want to say to you, help me love you, help me see you, help me hear you, help me want you, help me serve you. God, we want to seek you. I pray, Lord, you would turn this church into a seeking church, a church that adjusts its schedule cries out for your work on Sunday, your ministries between the Sundays. We want to seek the power of God that we might do the things that Jesus said, the greater things than he did. Today we're seeking that. We're seeking for big results in Alaska, big results in the Middle East. We are seeking the power of God, seeking the presence of God. Lord, for our community that's addicted, stressed, 
maybe depressed, maybe angry, maybe downcast. Love our community, and we are seeking now that the power of God up and down every street, in the yards, between the houses, in the homes, at the table, conversations about the Lord would take place this week. And when you invite us to be part of that, use us, send us. But we're seeking you for great and mighty things in our community. In Jesus' name, amen.